Hi everyone, welcome to The Bit. My name is Rebecca and this is our very first episode and I'm joined by the amazing Jamie Boyskin, who is a music theatre trained cabaret performer. She has an inspiring story, so I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to The Bit. Today I'm joined by my very first guest. Um, Her name is Jamie Boyskin. Jamie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you for being my first guest. Thank you for having me as your first guest. So we are going to talk about the arts, Mm -hmm. your involvement in the arts, and all the bits in between. So can we kick off with a little bit about you and your background growing up, where you're from, um, where you're based now? Yeah. So I'm born in Sydney. Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I now live in Melbourne. I'm based in Melbourne, have been for oh almost seven years in January, <laughs> which is exciting. Um, and I am a music theatre graduate who predominantly works in cabaret. So I tour a show I wrote called Overreacting a Period Drama, which mm-hmm. is about my period and endometriosis. And I also sometimes assist my other friends with producing their independent uh, theatre shows. Yeah, I know you're a bit of a jack of all trades. Yeah, I try to be. <laughs> Overreacting a period drama, mm-hmm. are you able to tell the listeners a little bit about it? Yeah, so when I studied music theatre, we had a component of the course which was about cabarets. Um, cabaret is a, an art form, it can kind of be anything and everything. It can combine comedy, music, film, photography anything really. For me, my interpretation of it is kind of my version of cabaret is kind of like stand-up comedy with song and dance. Um, And I wrote this show for that cabaret section Mm -hmm. in my course. Uh, It was originally a 10-minute course and then, oh no, sorry, sorry, not 10-minute course, a 10-minute show. And then when I graduated, I expanded it and it was based on my journey with my own period um, a couple of months before we did the show as a 10-minute show. I had a 35-day period, consistent bleeding. Right, so you wrote about that. I did. Um, it had just come after I'd been diagnosed with endometriosis mm-hmm. and was a lot about the fact that I just didn't know how to talk about it. So I wanted to create, in that 10 minutes, a way to start a conversation. That's really proactive. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And just for a bit of background for the listeners, so you, I know that you graduated from Federation University. Uni. Yeah. yeah. FU. Uh <laughs> <laughs> used to be Ballarat University. And uh, that's in Victoria, Ballarat. Yeah, Victoria, Excellent. Ballarat. So I do, I have small lie when I say I've been in Melbourne almost seven years because there were three years in uh, regional Victoria, but I, I still feel like a Melbourneian through and through. And you were little, like you were a baby. You were 18, <laughs> yeah? yeah? Uh, when I moved to Melbourne, I was 18. And when I got into Ballarat and started, I was 19. Okay. So... I was actually probably around the middle age mark of that course. Our oldest person in our course being 32, I think, and then our youngest being like 17. Mm. So 19 was like the median age. Yeah. But still young, very young. (laughs) So you did your three years. You graduated in 2017. Yes. Okay, and then you moved to the city. Yes, I did. Cool. And you decided to turn your 10-minute show into a 60-minute show. Yeah, I did. Um, When I finished my degree, things hadn't initially worked out the way that I had wanted it or planned it to be and that I thought I was going to land an incredible agent and I was going to go out there and just like 
make the Australian music theatre scene my bitch. Um, and it didn't quite go like that. I didn't land an agent and I was kind of coming to terms with that and trying to work out how one makes a career or starts a career without an agent. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, there was a lot of good feelings about that cabaret and I knew that I wasn't quite done with it when we finished it at 10 minutes. So I started applying for um, the Melbourne Cabaret Festival. and Which is in which month? June. June, June typically. Of- so you were applying for June 2018? Yes. Okay. Um, and this was in, I think it was like the 24th of January I applied, somewhere around there. And when I finished the application, I looked at the website. It's like, it submitted, but it said that the application said closed at December, like 24 days before. And I was like, whoops. <laughs> oh, well, trial and error. Put the new date for the applications for the 2019 season in my diary and thought I'll apply for that then later on. Then I kind of focused more on like just trying to adapt to being back in Melbourne, trying to find a job. Had no job and then suddenly had a lot of jobs, mm. <laughs> as you do. Um, and I hadn't really heard from Melbourne Cabaret Festival because obviously I'd assumed that nothing was going to happen there because I applied late. So I signed myself up to do this uh, program called the Cabaret Showcases, which is this great little program run by these two veteran cabaret performers, uh, Mark and Melissa. And they, you just pay, you don't pay anything. You just have to get 30 tickets, uh, sell 30 tickets and they help you extend your cabaret or any of your cabaret ideas to become a 30-minute show. A 30-minute show. Okay. Yeah. Opposed to a 60. Yeah. Cool. So I was like, okay, cool. So maybe this will be a good way for me to, you know, move from 10 minutes to 30. Kept going on with my life, not even thinking about um, my own, I mean, the application. And then I got an email from the Melbourne Cabaret Festival telling me that they had a spot for my show <laughs> as an hour show. Um, and that was really exciting because I was just like, oh, I guess I better white out, uh, that bit in my diary where I'm going to apply for it next year because I'm doing it this year. Uh, and that was really exciting. So I extended the show to an hour yeah, 10 but, minutes. <laughs> but you say that, but I'm sure it wasn't as simple as just extending the show to an hour. No, so what wasn't. was that? <laughs> Tell the listeners about that process. Um, it was really, it was exciting at first and it's exciting as well, but to take something from 10 minutes and add another 50 minutes of content is a different beast altogether. Because it wasn't just you. I understand there's how many how many people. So the show included myself, two of my friends, mm-hmm. who at that point were just playing tampons. They came in on the last number, right? did their thing, and then exited. And they'd already done that um, when you guys were at uni together. Yeah. Okay. So they were, they were still attached to the project. Sure. When I found out, I messaged everyone who was involved. And then I also have a music director who plays and is also part of the show. So the whole shtick of my show is I'm a menstrual activist. My pianist is my menstrual activist protege. And he, like, we are kind of trying to teach everyone about periods. And my menstrual activist protege is also trying to get his vag badges so that he can become a full-fledged menstrual activist instead of just a protege. So he was involved as well. And then we also had my director who directed um, it back when it was just a 10-minute show, Fiona Scott Norman. So there was four people on stage and one off stage. Okay. So I had to wrangle five people's schedules, which is tricky when we're all doing different things. Um... And also trying to write it for four people, for four performers. For four performers. um, Sketching things that, like, I just didn't know what they were going to be yet. Because 
I guess <laughs> what I learned from that process is like you're kind of constantly evolving and trying out new ideas. So when it came to that first season of the show, it was still kind of being tweaked until literally the minute I went on stage for that first show and I was a stress head about whether or not I was even going to remember anything, if it was going to like land, if anyone was even in the audience, that it wasn't just going to be like my housemates and my mum. Because how many shows were you doing? Two. Right. So that's pressure. That's pressure to sell two houses worth of tickets. Yeah. And like never learning or knowing anything about marketing or anything like that. I had no clue. So I threw money to God knows when. It didn't I don't even know how people turned up. I'm so grateful they did because <laughs> I didn't do a good job of trying to, like, get them there. That's something I learned more for the next season. But it, it was really a really crazy process trying to work out what I wanted to say now with a show that's 60 minutes. Because 10 minutes, you're like, okay, I want to hit this, 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 this. And it's going to be all wrapped up and served on a platter. But with 60 minutes, you're like, okay, so what more can I do? What more do I want to say? What do I want to talk on? And I was encouraged as well to write original music. So I think for that season we had two new songs that I had written and I've never written a song before in my life. Uh, I wrote the lyrics and my music director at the time, Raina Pollard, wrote the music for it. So we worked together. But that's like a whole other level besides trying to write the script, trying to get it off to people, rehearse it. And then (laughs) I love the show to have lots of fun props and zany costumes. That involved as well a lot of just like getting people involved and asking them to help and do stuff. So it was a beast of a project. But at the same time, like, you're still working, right? Like, you're still working. How many jobs did you have at this point? Um, I feel like two or three. Okay. I'm not – I can't quite recall. But I – so, yeah. I blocked it out. <laughs> I'm a bit traumatised by that entire period. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I'm working two or three jobs to make my bills meet. Um, readjusting to living in a city that I had lived in when I was 18, which had changed a little bit. Um, you know, making new friends and keeping the connections with the people I studied with who were like my family, trying to see my family who are all interstate and writing a show at the same time. I was like, and also like also having the chronic illness that I have with endometriosis, having things flare up and not flare up and my body just doing God knows what Mm. and trying to audition for like music theatre or theatre things that popped up at the same time. So you executed the show with all of that in tow. Yeah. And um, how did you go? Like, how did both nights sell? Did they sell well or...? Yeah, so we had the 4.30 slot on a Saturday and a Sunday. And 4.30 is a bit of a hard sell. Um, People are at work, yeah. Yeah, so, like, a lot of my friends who had seen the show at 10 minutes wanted to be supportive, but it's tricky because you can't sometimes make 4.30 work. Um, But we had a really good turnout overall. I think we kind of sat, the audience was about half full for both shows. Again, which I'm just like, how? And I'm so grateful because I literally just didn't understand how marketing or any of that worked. So I don't even know how these people turned up, but I'm glad that they did. (laughs) So you pulled that off. Yes. And then you since put it on again. Yes. In Melbourne. Yes. And then you put it on again, Sydney or Tassie first? Sydney first, then Tassie. Okay. Great. <laughs> and then you were meant to go to Shepparton this year. Yes. But that got called off. Yes, unfortunately. So after we finished the Melbourne Cabaret Festival season, again, I kind of had that sense that I was like, it's not done yet. And also it's hard because like once you get into the second show, I've opened and closed a show in a weekend 
and you'd start to feel like, okay, this is the flow of the show and then it's and done. It's closed. And then it's done. You're like, okay, cool. Well, now what? So again, I felt like there was more to it. There was more I needed to do. There was something, you know, more conversations to be had, which is the best part of the show. The conversations afterwards, everyone's told me about their periods, their family members' periods, their endo. I call myself the period whisperer. I know all these facts and I love it. Like, it's great to have these conversations because that's what the show's about. So we did it one more time at the Melbourne Comedy Festival last year in 2018 at the Butterfly Club. Oh, wait, 2019. Oh, COVID brain. (laughs) Uh, 2019 at the Butterfly Club, which was really exciting. We got seven days. The show changed a bit. Mm. Um, I got a new music director, Thomas Bradford, who is also like a creative artist who... um, wrote a show Tinder Tales. I actually auditioned for it. That's why I know who he is. And now he's my music director. Um, And the show, I think, finally hit where it was supposed to be. And we made it about, you know, issues about period poverty as well, globally and within Australia. And we started mending the show as well to make it a bit more inclusive. So we did the Melbourne season. It went really well. We took it then to Sydney for the Bondi Feast Festival, which was really exciting because it was like coming home and... We sold out the show for the first time, which was really exciting. And then we went to Tassie in January, um, did two shows. And then we were supposed to do Shepparton in March, but unfortunately due to COVID-19, it had to be cancelled, but had to be done. So what's your biggest key learning then from that whole process? So starting out the Cabaret Fest through to the cancellation for Shepparton. What do you think has been your biggest key learning? Maybe one or two. Yeah. Um, I think learning about the independent art scene and being a part of it. And what's been really fun about that is getting to see all these independent artists and their shows and seeing what's out there because it's so different. And so diverse and you wouldn't ever think like oh someone has this idea um i know this artist in perth nicola she has a show about the hillary duff film festival and every show she recreates like a hillary duff movie and it's so fun and she's like i thought someone this is something i would like to watch so i did it so it's amazing to just go out there and see all these other shows but i guess for me it's solidified as well um my love of cabaret and finding, I guess, something that really feels like it will sustain me going forward and something that I'd love to keep doing. And it's something that I'm guessing made you feel proactive more so than reactive. Like you weren't sitting around waiting for the phone to ring, if you know what I mean. A hundred percent. It's been really rewarding because in these last three years, because I kind of allowed my dreams and goals to kind of shift away from what I thought it was going to be, Um, it's opened up so many exciting doors and so many opportunities and a great way to connect with, um, organizations and communities and all these wonderful independent artists. And it's, yeah, it's been really exciting and brilliant and felt much better, I guess, than waiting around proactive, as you said. Mm. (laughs) So I guess like on the arts industry, um, what do you kind of foresee your contribution? Like now, obviously it's your show what about for the future um I think I'd still love to be dipping my toes in music theater as much as I can um but I do see myself at this point continuing a lot of cabaret work um I think for me it's my way of dealing with things that have happened in my life so with like my period and my endo it's been 
a good way for me to kind of process that. Um, and I think I'm really passionate about those kinds of topics and I want to keep making shows about women's health and getting it out there and having these conversations and making sure that we are all, you know, bleeding equally. And it's not just women as, you know, transgender men and boys and non-binary and just people and trying to make sure that, yeah, I, I feel very passionate about this. So I feel like I'll keep making shows about that. Um, I do have a show <laughs> in my head that I've thought about for quite a while about my bat mitzvah and having another one. So I think I might even just be at odds with my Judaism in a show. So I think this is just how I process things. Well, that's great. I love that. Thank you. Um, you mentioned that when you first set out that you had, I mean, hopes and dreams, yeah, but you had an idea and goals and it was going to look a certain way. Yeah. Um, was that like a professional music theatre performer or...? Yeah. Um... I've always been a massive music theatre nerd. So not being able to get an agent initially and yep. maybe not right away, re like jumping straight into professional music theatre, mm. because of that and looking back on that, do you feel that there is segregation in the arts? Like is there a gap? Like because you can't get that agent and that's a third part party essentially you're waiting for to give you the tick of approval mm. to launch you up into like an elite stratosphere and because you – you didn't kind of get that, do you feel as though you're kind of hindered and you're stuck in some other realm where there's a ceiling you just quite can't quite get through? Do you believe in that segregation? Um, I think I did feel that initially um, because I just didn't know what, what it was going to be like out there without one. And it was really daunting and really scary. And I thought, well, how can I make all these things that I've always wanted? And like, you know, literally moved my life to different states and... Well, that's a lot of sacrifice, yeah. right? Yeah, and financial sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. So I just didn't know what it was going to be like. But I think what I found down here in Melbourne, which I feel very grateful for, is we have the independent arts th uh, scene. And there's a lot of small music theatre as well available. And it is very daunting at first, but if you can stay connected with like... There's so many Facebook groups as well that announce auditions and stuff. And as well, the big musicals are do allow you to submit yourself with or without an agent, which is also great because it means that people who might not have agents might get in the room, and which is exciting. So I do feel I did initially feel hindered by it, but I do feel that if you can kind of find communities and Facebook groups and Star Now or whatever... And I mean, like, not all of that's going to be great, but, you know, say yes to everything as much as you can if it feels good <laughs> mm. um, and build up a resume, then keep doing that. Like, there's – I know with my singing teacher, she has a group and whatever she finds audition-wise, she'll post it in that group. So I think it can hinder you. Like, yes, you're not going to find out about TV ads and TV briefs as much. But if theatre's your game, then – I think if you kind of find the little communities and Facebook groups and things on the internet, you won't be as discredited. But I guess it uh, disheartened. But it, it depends on what I guess you're you're after. As do you an think that status is a problem in the arts, or do you think it even exists in the arts? As in someone's status within their career within the industry. Um. Or do you think it's just a wholly inclusive game? 
I think we're working towards more inclusivity. Um, I think we can always do more. <laughs> How? Um, I think I love seeing casting that I didn't think of when I first saw a show. Um, I think, yeah, colorblind casting, gender bending. I think our panels need to be very open to diverse and new voices for different roles and different ideas. So it's not the same for people getting roles, although exciting. And you go, I know I can trust that person. Oh, I'm a deep fan. I can't wait to see them on stage. I think we do need to, we are more inclusive, but we can always do more. Mm. And it would be like, I mean, it's exciting to keep seeing Australian talent up there. And I think even inclusivity means like not importing casts from overseas, which I think we're trying to, the MEAA are trying to work on here. So, you know, if you, I personally feel if you can't find the people for the show, you just don't do the show. So it's like if you can't do the Book of Mormon without importing 18 cast members from the North American tour, then you just don't do it. Mm. Um because we do, we have so much talent down here and it's uh, Australia overall. And it's just such a shame when we can't see ourselves reflected on stage or not see, you know, different interpretations that are completely different to what we initially anticipated. So I think we'll keep, I think we should keep working towards it. I think that we, um, like I've got a performing background as well. And I think that it would be great to not always see the same Faces mm-hmm. in television, on shows, um, on the stage. Yeah, definitely. Is there a way? I mean, a lot of people who know me well will hear me say, "Let's give someone else a go." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have for, ex- say that. <laughs> for example, I love Samantha Barks. I love her to death. I think she has done an amazing job in Lame Mirrors, but she did the stage show and she did the film. Mm. Ken could have someone else have done one of those. 100%. I love her. I think her performance was amazing, but. There's a lot of amazing people. 100%. I agree. And I definitely think we do have a tendency down here in Australia that the same names do tend to keep coming up. And I I get it because some of them are like theatre loyalty. So obviously, like, we want to see them and they've got their fan base. I had a conversation with someone in the line for Kiss of the Spider Woman who's seen, like, everything Caroline O'Connor has done. So I guess that is, like, the status point that I was referring Mm. to earlier. I think there's place for both. I think, yes, we absolutely should celebrate the people who have, you know, contributed to our art scene and are doing incredible things. They shouldn't be kicked out of the limelight. But I do think we need to diversify and open up for more voices and different voices that we haven't seen or heard or else I fear you lose people because they get either, like, disheartened or feel like it's just never going to happen for them and those people as well deserve to have their voices heard deserve to be seen deserve to represent so I do think it's important that we have both yes we honor the people who are our theater royalty or our tv royalty but I do think we need to be opening the doors for as many people as possible to get their foot in or else we lose people who go When's it going to happen for me? And it has to be financially viable. I'm not saying that we're taking home a big pay packet. I mean, you would know a lot about profits from an independent show, (laughs) you know, the lack thereof. Yeah. So it doesn't have to rake in the cash for us, but we, there just needs to be something to make it financially sustainable so that those voices can continue to be heard. I was speaking recently to my partner about the fact that, that it's just so heartbreaking. Like you mentioned, if someone 
has in their heart that they want to be a performer, but there's just no platform for them to do it. So they give it up and become an accountant instead. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being Mm. an accountant, but if their first natural instinct was to perform, but it's just like, well, I also got to eat. That's, that's the biggest loss for our our country and for the industry. hundred percent. Um, and I think, yeah, it is really hard in those early days, especially if you come out of any kind of degree or course, you're going to be like so hungry for it and you're going to want it so bad. Well, you won't. I mean, it's fine either way. But you go out there and you're like, I'm ready to kick this industry's ass. And then you kind of might feel like you get lost in it or you don't get the say. And it's such a, it's a race. Like you can't, you will, I think at times be out of love with it and other times you'll be like head in the game blinkers on not even thinking about anything else and that but it is a real challenge and I think you really have to want it and love it but then sometimes it is hard because you're like when will it love me back (laughs) I was watching something recently about oh I don't know when it was it must have been in the 50s and 60s maybe even the 70s but you know 30 40 50 years ago when when actors would graduate from their course and then there would be ready-made conservatories for them to go into where they were paid minimum wage. Yeah. So, and that doesn't exist anymore. No. So people, I suppose we do have Fringe and we do have all of the other festivals we have down here where performers can cut their teeth, but I guess like cost of living's higher. Hmm. I think it's, I mean, when you say that, I have to go back to my dear idol, Patty LaPone. Please do. Because <laughs> she, for I think the first three or four years after her time at Juilliard, she was a part of one of those. And right. She got nominated for her first Tony Award from, like, the Robert Bridesgroom, which was one of the shows that they did. Um, so if we take that away, that opportunity away for... For those artists who have come fresh out of school, mm. they need to have that nurturing kind of platform, that conservatory, that kind of safe place yeah. to carry them through to the next yeah. phase. And I think that's where we're losing a lot of our lot of our talent. I would agree. I think when I look at my U-level, we had 37 people in my U-level, which is big for a course. Most courses are like 20 people, but we kind of stayed at 37 the entire time. And I think if you look at... Um, We're now three years out. Even within the first year, a lot of people kind of dropped it. And that's fine. It could have been for whatever reason. Um, I do know a lot of people are going into looking into other fields of study, which is also great and exciting as well. Yeah, to diversify. You know, we're more than just performers. Yeah, but it's. I also do get disheartened if I think about the fact that they might be doing that because they've gone out there, gone, here I am, world. I'm ready to go. And then it's just like them to an echoing canyon of nothingness. Falling flat on. Yeah. And it's just like, it's such a shame because there's so many talented people that I would love to see thrive and get out there. And Absolutely. it's a shame if they don't, if they lose that love or get jaded by it. And we're, we're already uh, a type, type, I'm not sure if that's the right word to use, but a certain type of human who self-doubt usually is comes pretty naturally to us so Mm -hmm. when self-doubt that we're already trying to kind of tame is then met with lack of opportunity yeah it's kind of it's kind of already 
written there for <laughs> us, isn't it? Yeah. Can I, be. Yeah. I was really grateful that um, Fegini really emphasizes creating your own work. Mm. Um, and it's com- something that, like, over the th- one to three years is kind of brought up quite a bit. Um, and some of our biggest <laughs> names that have exited this course have, I think, thrived on the fact that they've created their own work. Like, we're very proud to say that Auntie Donna, the comedians, came from Fed Uni, but they're, like, our claim to fame. And, like, that was because they actually started doing Auntie Donna and those sketches as part of, like, the student-run festival in third year. And now look at them. Like, they've got to deal with Netflix, um, which is so exciting. Like, that's our claim to fame. Um, <laughs> and I'm really grateful that they... Um, taught us that and really valued that because it is a really tough industry. It can be really hard to get your foot in the door as well because you're like a baby when you enter again. Um, My singing teacher always used to say that first year out, you are a young professional or a professional in training. Yes, you are professional. Yes, you've learned, but you don't have the ropes yet because you haven't like actually been out there in that industry. So I'm lucky and I'm grateful that I've found my own kind of way through the independent art scene and my own voice through creating my own work. And a lot of, as well, my year level, a lot of the people ended up doing cabarets because when they did that first year out, they were like, what's going on? I thought it was going to be like this. So then they were like, okay, well, what can I do? And how awesome that Melbourne is like, bam, cabaret festival. And you're like, great, I'll enter. So we're so blessed in Melbourne, so, so blessed. And the reason I bring all of that up too is that I just really wanted to highlight that there are highs, your Mm. show, and Mm. there are lows. And they're both, you know, and that's two really strong examples and there will be more. Yeah, I think, I mean, it will be very interesting to see how our art scene bounces back after this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, even looking at some of these arts festivals, they're getting really creative. Like Melbourne Fringe is now, has the option that you can do it in person or you can do it online. Same thing with the um, Emerging Writers Festival down here in Victoria. The complete program is online. It's, I think, Zoom calls, but you pay the ticket admission and then you join up. Like, it's still happening. We have taken quite a hit. And obviously it's not the same as like performing for a bunch of people um, in a space and that electricity and the live theater aspect to it where like anything could happen. God knows I know that someone fainted in my show on my opening night at comedy festival. Like that's not going to happen on a zoom call and have nearly the same effect as like having to stop the show. That person was okay. Thank God. Um, just got a little bit overwhelming for them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) actually had nothing to do with the content, but anyways, um, but yeah, it's it's still great. And I think a lot as well, like you look at all these massive theatre companies in the world, like National Theatre, and you've got um, Andrew Lloyd Webber with The Show Must Go On, like they're releasing all these filmed theatre and we get to still experience to see this masterful theatre and connect. Um, it's not the same as being in a live theatre, but it's still able to adapt and still keep us engaged. And we will adapt and we will change and evolve and this is just one part of that exactly cool so in terms of your background Mm -hmm. I'm interested in I've got a few quick questions for you beautiful um the bit that made you want to start the bit that made you want to stop yeah and the bit that made you keep going the bit that made me start Patty LaPone and the Lame soundtrack (laughs) I sense a theme here. Yeah, Penny Lapone. Um, 
look, that was like the first cast recording that I can really recall. And I loved it so much. And the drama of it all, like, so intense. I just remember listening, I think, oh, it's not Confrontation. It's like Jean Valjean's first, like, solo where he holds the note for, like, let's say 45 seconds and I just kind of <laughs> sat there as a kid and I was like wow I want to do that so blame is it got me in the bit I wanted that made me want to quit a little bit of acting school just because it's so hard and you're so like down on yourself and you're having a mental breakdown and if you don't have that experience I'm so glad for you but I did. <laughs> so a bit of that, I think as well, those first couple of months where they were rocky, I was almost like, is this worth it? But I'm glad I persevered. And the bit that makes me want to keep going is my show and cabaret in general in the future. I'm going to ask you about, I'm going to wrap up with some questions about your inner child. Okay. Beautiful. Because I, I love children. Most of the time. <laughs> I've taught them before and they crack me up and I don't know. I just think that there's something really special about being a small person and the perceptions you have and how things are formed and, yeah, I could think about it all day. But uh, so little Jamie. Yes. Just whatever age comes to you, five, six, seven, eight, probably below eight. Yeah. Cool. Five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Um, little Jamie, mm -hmm. what are your perceptions, maybe of the world, maybe of the arts world? I don't know if you're thinking about it like that early. I think you were. But <laughs> um, what's little Jamie thinking up there uh, about the arts world? <laughs> she froths any kind of musical that she can listen to. Um there's, <laughs> I have a very strong memory of the first time my parents took me to like The Lion King, the musical. And it was like that video of like Chloe, we're going to Disneyland where the one kid is just like, ah, I'm so excited. And then it's like panned to the other kid and the other kid's like, mm, doesn't really care. Like I was the kid that was excited. My brother just did not give, did not care that it was happening. Um, I loved it. I was so passionate about it. I wanted to do it. I was dancing. I was singing. So performing was something that was something I was doing. Um, I don't necessarily think I understood that that could be a full on career at that point. Um, but I knew I just couldn't get enough and I wanted more and more and more. I was like a little hungry child for anything theater related. To quote Hamilton, I was young, scrappy and hungry. <laughs> awesome. And any advice to her? Um, I think my biggest thing to her would be that I think at that young age, you start to enjoy making people laugh. Um, and that brings you a lot of joy and makes you feel good. And I think you, you will keep doing that through your life and then try and make a career out of it. Uh, <laughs> I would say just keep doing everything that you're doing. You are a bit of a weird person, a bit of a zany character, but that's what makes you you and that's what works for you. And that's like your gift that you can bring because you're, you're an oddball. But yeah, stay open, stay creative, keep making people laugh, to summarise. Well, you make me laugh. See, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being my first guest. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the very first episode with the amazing Jamie. Please hit subscribe to hear all the future episodes. Thanks, guys. Take care.